podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we call the noughties and to the football of the noughties. Welcome to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 19 and today we've got two great Arsenal fixtures from a day like today. It's been 17 years since Arsenal and Thierry Henry demolished Inter Milan in the San Siro in the Champions League in that fantastic invincible season. Table never lies, we're going to go north to Scotland and to 2001. But first... We've got an Arsenal win from 19 years ago and a couple of Fabian Barthez howlers. Arsenal defeated Manchester United 3-1 in 2001, today 19 years ago. It was a strange season for me at least, so let's go through some context on that personally. My football background, supporting background, starts at the 1998 World Cup and through David Beckham, I begin to spot Manchester United ahead of the treble season and fantastic successes of three in a row in, the, in terms of the Premier League and then suddenly it was the 2001-2 season. Manchester United were out for four Premier Leagues in a row, something that no English team has ever done before, whether the Premier League or the old first division. Liverpool had done it, Arsenal had done it, Huddersfield Town had done it, Manchester United had just done it then, but nobody had done four in a row. Fabian Barthez had come in, Ruud van Nistelrooy had come in, Lauren Blanc had come in, has had Juan Sebastian Verón, the Europeanisation of Manchester United here at the time, was evident for me. Perhaps the biggest transfer outside of playing staff was Steve McLaren joining Middlesbrough and Jim Ryan becoming assistant manager. He was only there for a year and after Yapstam's quick sale to Lazio after autobiography comments, which Sir Alex Ferguson would later come to regret, one of his biggest regrets as time as manager of Manchester United. But it was this assistant manager that Alex Ferguson sort of used to regenerate his teams. There was a lot said about, you know, 27 years as manager of one team and re- constantly regenerating from the teams of Bruce and Pallister to the class of 92 to Rooney and Ronaldo and beyond. So there's four teams there, but what really there was, was Mike feeling at the end. You had Carlos Quires there for the uh, for the second Champions League when you've then you've got Brian Kidd and Steve McLaren. So we were in between sort of eras at that time. Carlos Quires would come in at the end of the season. Ferguson started the season though with a retirement. He was he was to retire in two thousand and two, and there were sort of names such as Sven Goran Eriksson, Martin O'Neill would often get the job on Championship Manager two thousand two. Names like Marcello Lippi, you know, big names in managerial in managerial terms. But in the end, it would be a trophyless season for Ferguson, who I think probably pinpointed the Champions League final, Hamden Park, Glasgow. In the shadows, he grew up in Glasgow with Hamden Park there in the distance. I think he thought, oh, that's, this is the perfect way to go out. But in the end, they lost in the semi-finals to Bayer Leverkusen. Lost in the League Cup to Arsenal, the FA Cup to Middlesbrough in early rounds in the domestic cups. And by the time this game came around, Manchester United was sort of on the periphery. Liverpool and Leeds were the top two. And after this loss and two losses to Chelsea and West Ham in quick succession, 
Manchester United were ninth in the middle of December, but things would be wildly different in May. But first, let's get to the game. The Highbury Screamer would be in full effect for Paul Scholes' early tapping, crossed by Mikhail Silvestre in about 15 minutes. And it then hit me that the Man United were wearing that gold shirt, that really heavy, reversible gold shirt that's probably one of my favourite kits. And it's probably, might even be one of the best third kits ever. I mean, at the, at the current season, Manchester United have got this sort of zebra kit, haven't they? Which, it's been a season this year of uh, quirky third kits with Manchester City's uh, pretty green-inspired strip that they've been wearing recently. But at this time... The gold shirt was probably one of my favourites. I think it was to mark the centenary from their name change from Newton Heath to Manchester United, 1902 to 2002. So, Manchester United led until the second half when who else? Freddie Lundberg with a lob. And it seemed like at this time, at least, Freddie Lundberg would always score against Manchester United. He made his debut against United and, of course, scored a debut goal in a 3-0 win. Uh, one of United's only three losses. And probably the first loss I experienced as a Manchester United fan in a 3-0 win September 1998. Lundberg didn't play the reverse later on that season in February. Played both the FA Cup semi-finals, both the replay and the opening fixture at Villa, Villa Park in uh, April 1999. Didn't score in either of those, but then scored home and away in 1999-2000 in losses and draws. Didn't score the following season, but scored here. And the breakthrough came with 10 minutes to play. In a tight, nervy affair that as a United fan, I was never confident of because Arsenal at Highbury was always like the hardest game of the season at the time, definitely. And Bartes picked the ball up, flunked a clearance straight to Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry ghosts into the box, sticks it beyond his compatriot in net. And the game there for me was done and dusted. But then five minutes later, Bartes thought he would uh, assist his teammate once again. His national teammate though, not his uh, club teammate. As he went to gather the ball, the ball just sort of his hands must have been made out of jelly. The, hat, the ball went through his hands. Thierry Henry runs either side of Bartes, pokes the ball in 3-1. Arsenal were reaching the zenith of the Premier League. Manchester United were heading down into ninth by Christmas Day. And Fabian Bartes, is he considered a flop? Is a question I'll ask you viewers if you could comment down below or at our Twitter at whatif underscore YouTube. He did come with a reputation as a World Cup winner. And there were moments, though, this game, case in point, probably his most um, notorious game as Manchester United goalkeeper. And of course, earlier on that year, the previous season, in his first season against West Ham, where he uh, called Paolo Di Canio's bluff from an offside. It wasn't offside, according to the officials. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And West Ham knocked Manchester United of the FA Cup in the first time they'd been in the tournament since the treble winning season. And Bartes was probably in the middle of the Peter Schmeichel replacement programme. We'd had, we, Manchester United had had Massimo Taibi, Mark Bosnich. Bartes was there. He was supposed to be the next, you know, stalwart in net for United. But Bartes would be replaced for the 2003-04 season with Tim Howard, Roy Carroll, before finally Van der Sar came in. And upon his retirement, United had a... Better replacement program for the Dutchman with David Dea, who keeps goal to this day, so and is approaching his centenary year. Veron was spoke of in the same breath in terms of a flop for Manchester United and later Chelsea when he commanded two big fees in the Premier League, yielding very little. But both Veron and Bartes would win the Premier League. Let's not forget in two thousand and three, 
um, in both their final seasons as first team players. My biggest flop would probably come from Chelsea. Now, Chelsea, with all this money they've been throwing around, they like to sign a few strikers and Adrian Mutu came in, left under a drugs cloud. Uh, Mieta Kesman came in, didn't hit the heights as he would for PSV in the Eredivisie. But of course, it had to be Andrea Shevchenko for Chelsea. He went from the Ballon d'Or in the Champions League in successive years to nine goals in 48 Premier League appearances and left after three seasons. Wasn't seen of again in England and can be regarded as probably the biggest, in my opinion anyway. I'd love to know your opinions in the comments section. We've also got Alberto Aquilani from Roma to Liverpool as well, who Liverpool had probably the perfect midfield there. Mascherano, Alonso, Gerard. it was probably the best midfield in the Premier League in the late 2000s, early 2010s, of course. Alonso Mascherano would leave in successive summers and then Liverpool's stock plummeted. But Aquilani was supposed to be a different option from deep, like Mascherano, like Alonso. But it never really got going for him, really, which is a shame. Let's push on with the 2001-2 season. And I say it was a quirky one. United's treble team was ending its sort of cycle with the likes of Liverpool, David O'Leary's Leeds, Sir Bobby Robson's Newcastle beginning their own cycle. Chelsea had got into a groove with Claudio Ranieri. They'd finish in the top six routinely at this time. And Arsenal were always there or thereabouts. Ferguson announced his U-turn. And as such, United's form picked right back up. They won 12 of the next 13 matches. The only one that they didn't win was a loss at home to Liverpool in the league. And now the top four, Newcastle, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, were split by four points with 10 to play. United now on top of the league. But United would drop points to Derby and Middlesbrough, whilst Arsenal simply just won and won again. In a similar rich vein of form to when they previously won the league season in 1998, they just went undefeated. They won every single game in a row, 11 won in a row. And then approaching in their crosshairs was Old Trafford, the reverse fixture in May. They needed to win their 12th match in a row to retake the Premier League for the first time in four years. And of course, Will Todd scored. And the title was won at Old Trafford. And Arsenal had a knack of winning the title at their home of their biggest rivals. Spurs in a few years, in 2004. Will Todd here. And Ferguson returned the following season with a new assistant in Carlos Queiroz and another Premier League, a rejuvenation. Queiroz would leave for a, for a year to Real Madrid as manager came back and Quiroz and Ferguson survived the departure of Roy Keane, to put it politely, and would bring home a European Cup and Premier League double in Quiroz's final year before Mike Fielding was brought in. And in terms of Arsenal, I think this year is an Arsenal team that gets overlooked. They were the first team to go unbeaten away in the Premier League, which is a an astonishing feat, really. They won 87 points, which is only a few off their invincible season. And that run of form at the end of the season, where the Premier League was known for its big four of Liverpool, United, Chelsea and Arsenal, which was probably about half a decade away. But this big six was probably as strong because you've got Newcastle, Leeds in there as well, who Leeds, around this time, this season, were touted to be winning the league. Newcastle were coming up and were would make the Champions League. So, you know, they were they were a fantastic team, a fantastic obviously the the stalwarts were Man United and uh, Man United and Arsenal. So 
for Arsenal to win it and go unbeaten away in the Premier League, I think this team does get overlooked. Obviously, the landscape of the Premier League when they went unbeaten again will be completely different in 2004. And after this short break, we'll be looking at that season for Arsenal. Are you a massive football nerd like me? Do you like quizzes? If you answered yes to the both of these, then I'm pleased to tell you about Teammates, a sponsor of What If Football and the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Climb the divisions, win the cups, all by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter, teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch, and teammates on the App Store. Look for the red and blue football, teammates. It really is a quiz like no other. We are back and just two years had passed and Arsenal were no longer English champions. They'd signed the likes of Felipe Senderos, Johan Juru, Gail Clichy and Cesc Fabregas in the summer, future-proofing in terms of Arsene Wenger's reign. Also, Jens Lehmann would come in to succeed David Seaman, who was away to Manchester City and who would retire at the end of this season. In the face of Chelsea's money, new money from Roman Abramovich and Claudio Ranieri's final season and Ferguson wanting another Premier League title to go with his already bulging collection, Arsenal won the first 10 in 13 games and as it's, of course, the 2003-04 season, it meant that they drew the other three matches. They had lost, though, in the league, in the uh, season, at home to Inter Milan and away at Dynamo Kiev in the Champions League. And in fact, Arsenal's only win in Europe up until this point 17 years ago today was match day four in the Champions League's late 1-0 win in Kiev thanks to an 88th-minute Ashley Cole winner. They were skirting very finely with Champions League elimination. They had four points and were dead last in a group. Lokomotiv Moscow had five points, Dynamo Kiev had six, and Inter Milan were top on seven. A loss could see them out, and Arsenal hadn't really had the best Champions League record. Of course, they were one of the best teams in England at the time, battling Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United's arguably greatest team in England, toe-to-toe on all three fronts. But in Europe, they were pl- they were... I think they were sort of curtailed by playing at Wembley um, in the late 90s. In the 98-99 season, they were eliminated by RC Lons and Dynamo Kiev finishing third in a group where the only the only uh, the top place went through and the two highest runners up. So it was it was always going to be hard to get out of a group then and that's sort of excusable even though the teams that they lost to at home or at Wembley weren't as good as them. In 1999, the format had changed. We got 32 teams into a Champions League, two group stages, but Batigol, Fiorentina, Barcelona beat them at Wembley and they were out of the group stages once more. Obviously, they get funneled into the UEFA Cup. That's a story for another day where they played Galatasaray in the final. They finally got into a knockout stage match the, the following season, but lost in the quarterfinals, lost, losing on away goals to the eventual finalist, Valencia. They went to two successive group stages, the last 16 group stages in 2001 and 2002, where Deportivo picked their scalps as they would with a number of English clubs around the time, beating Arsenal home and away in 2002. And then the following season, they were quite unlucky to to not make the knockout stages, so to speak, because they drew four out of six matches, losing only one, winning one as well. But in Milan, we go back 17 years ago today, Arsenal were on fire. Thierry Henry and Christian Vieri traded goals early on in the first half and then 
Freddie Lundberg tapped in. Thierry Henry got a Gareth Bale-esque third with a low arrowed shot that was very, very reminiscent of Gareth Bale some seven years later on. Edu got a fourth, Perez a fifth. Arsenal had put five beyond Inter Milan and were still in Europe. And I've put this down for me as one of the best Champions League era English performances away from home. So we've got Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal again, as well as Leeds on my list, on my short list of six great English performances. First off, we've got Liverpool against Barcelona in 2007. Probably the picture you're remembering when you think of this match is Craig Bellamy's golf swing at the new camp in his white and green Liverpool away kit. Barcelona and Messi left heartbroken. Barcelona were the up-and-coming team at the time. Pep Guardiola and Frank... Pep Guardiola was due to join in a few years' time. Frank Rijkaard, Barcelona were the European champions at the time. Let's not forget. European champions in a season where Arsenal went to the Bernabeu and won 1-0. Thierry Henry's magnificent solo effort dragging Arsenal out of the last 16 and into the quarterfinals and through Juventus in the quarterfinals and Villarreal in the semis to get to Arsenal's only Champions League final to date. Leeds, we can't forget Leeds, 2001. They went to the Italian capital of Rome and beat Lazio 1-0. Lazio were one of the best teams at the time. They were Italian champions, let's not forget. And Alan Smith got the only goal of the game. Probably one of the more forgotten performances in in a time where they were Leeds were beating teams like AC Milan, etc. and got to the semi-finals that season. We can't forget that, can we? Where they lost to Valencia. Chelsea. Chelsea's entry here is their unforgettable night at the new Camp, much like Liverpool, but in a semi-final this time. And... They were facing a Barcelona team again, like Liverpool in 2007, where Barcelona were the European champions. Chelsea were hampered by a sending off to John Terry. Ramirez had got that lob, but Barcelona were 2-1 up. They needed a goal, and of course, the goal did come, but it was from Fernando Torres and Gary Neville's goalgasm, as it is now haphazardly known. Chelsea would draw 2-2 and win overall to then obviously qualify for the final in Munich to face Bayern in what was effectively an away game in their greatest night of their history, doing what Arsenal couldn't do six years prior and winning the thing. For Manchester United's entry, I'm not going to class their semi-final win at Arsenal as a away European night because it was Arsenal and it was effectively you know, a Premier League-style fixture. I am going to choose a semi-final entry for Manchester United. Of course, it has to be their 3-2 win over Juventus in 1999. It was a captain's performance from Roy Keane. Juventus had gone two ahead through Pippo Inzaghi early on. They were trying to get to their fifth UEFA final in a row. And of course, Keane got the ball rolling with a header. York got the second to put United ahead on away goals and then Andy Cole wrapped it up late on with a goal in the last minute. And of course, like Chelsea, Manchester United will go to the final and beat Bayern Munich, sealing a Champions League final in probably their most famous night as well, clinching the treble, late goals, Sheringham Solskjaer, etc, etc. But let's go back 17 years ago and to a 2003-04 season. Lokomotiv Moscow beat Dynamo Kiev, which left one point between all of the teams in Arsenal's group going into the final game. 
which that did mean with Inter Milan playing Dynamo Kiev, Arsenal only needed a win. They beat Lokomotiv 2-0. Inter Milan, who were top of the group, let's not forget, before Arsenal thrashed them 5-1, were eliminated because of a late, late equaliser in Kiev. Lokomotiv Moscow somehow went through and because we were into the last 16 knockout era of the Champions League, as it is now, and will hopefully remain for quite some time, Arsenal played Celta Vigo in the last 16. Edu and Thierry Henry scoring four of Arsenal's five goals to set up an all-London tie with, of course, Chelsea. New money Chelsea, Claudio Ranieri's Chelsea in the quarterfinals. And this was a sliding doors moment for football in England and perhaps in London. Perez and Good Johnson traded goals in the first leg. Jose Antonio Reyes and Frank Lampard traded goals in the second leg and it looked as though it was destined for extra time. Lyon, one of the best teams in Europe at the time, and Real Madrid, of course, perpetually one of Europe's best teams, were, were both out. And the winner of the competition would surely come from this. Monaco were through, Deportivo, Porto were through, and the favourites were either Chelsea or Arsenal, whichever way it went. And of course, the sickener for Arsenal, at least, came with three minutes left on the clock with Wayne Bridges winner. Chelsea were left trophyless though after losing to Monaco. Arsenal were put out of two competitions inside four days with an FA Cup semi-final defeat to Manchester United, courtesy of Paul Scholes. Arsenal would win the Premier League, of course, going undefeated, invincible, winning the Premier League title at White Hart Lane, as previously discussed on this episode. Chelsea got Mourinho, they of course the Champions League winner with Porto that year, and some might say they overtook Arsenal as the biggest club in London. Now for me, I would put Arsenal as historically the biggest club in London. You've got the double winning team in the 70s and Wenger's teams in the late 90s and early 2000s. Currently though, I'd put it as Chelsea. And I put a big poll out on Twitter this morning, or yesterday morning as you are hearing this. And currently, with a minute left, Arsenal are top with 45%, Chelsea with 32%, Tottenham with a measly 6%. So, we've got some correspondence on this. At Future of WWE 316 writes, Chelsea won the Champions League, so they're the best. Arsenal historically, agreeing with me there, and hopefully Tottenham in the future will be the biggest squad in London, as they have a great squad right now. And is a mark of success. I mean, Chelsea are the only London club to win the Champions League. Arsenal going fairly close in 2006 and in the 70s. Arsenal, of course, have the most Premier League titles, the most domestic cups in London, the most FA Cups in, you know, in England, the most Premier Leagues in London, should I say. And we are getting to a point now with Arsenal's continued performances in the Europa League where Chelsea have to lay claim to being the biggest club in London now. I mean, how far do we take it before Arsenal are the third biggest team in London? I mean, Tottenham will obviously have to win win things for that to happen. Of course, this season it might with the Premier League. They are currently top, let's not forget. Um, they would have to win go on quite the winning spree with Mourinho to do so. Um, so we're quite a few number of decades away from that with the omission of Bill Nicholson's team in the 1960s, of course. But for me, I'd say currently Chelsea, historically Arsenal, they're getting closer and closer and closer as, of course, Chelsea have won. Like They're approaching their domestic cup record. There's still some way off in terms of league titles, but 
Mourinho's league triumph in 2005 was Chelsea's only their second league title ever, whilst Arsenal are 13, I think, at the moment. So they are approaching that as well. So maybe in a decade's time, if Chelsea go on a bit of a run with Frank Lampard, maybe they'll be the undisputed biggest team in London. And maybe if they win a Champions League, they'll have to be reaffirmed as the biggest team in London if they've got multiple Champions Leagues over Arsenal. We'll be staying in Britain for the table never lies after this and to Scotland. Welcome back. The table never lies and... We are in 2001 now, we've gone forward a year. So now 19 years ago today, this is what the SPL table looked like. Celtic, Rangers at the top, just like it is today, but with the roles reversed. And of course, since, well, the 1980s, with a little gap in recent, recent history with Rangers demotion, this is what the top of the SPL always looked like. Celtic 1, Rangers 2, or Rangers 1, Celtic 2, no shock. But the shock really is just how by by how much Celtic lead, 10 points dropping just two points. Those two points away at Livingston in third, who obviously are quite the way back, as was often the case in Scotland at the time. Celtic had curtailed Rangers' quest for 10 in a row in the late 90s, but Rangers had got a couple more league titles of their own until Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes' co-management of the team was dropped in favour of Martin O'Neill, who'd done wonders at Leicester City winning a couple of League Cups. So, Rangers were on the cusp of title number 50 in Scotland, which is just phenomenal. O'Neill joined 197 points and Celtic were romped, romping to their Scottish Premier League title. And this weekend in particular, as you can see at the top of your screen there, Sunday's clash, 12pm, Celtic to Rangers 1. Henrik Larsson scoring the vital goal on 70 minutes there. It was a season's second Old Firm match. The first one was won by Celtic 2-0. The second one was won by Celtic 2-1. And the Old Firm games for that season, six in total, would be split evenly. Celtic would be undefeated in the league, winning two and drawing two of the Old Firm games, with Rangers two wins reserved for the cup competitions. The League Cup semi-final, which they beat Celtic on the way to winning that tournament by thrashing Air United 4-0. And the cup final, of course, Peter Lovenkran's 90th minute winner in a 3-2 win at Hampden Park. It was mere consolation for Rangers as the league title swung back to Celtic and these were the NTL days, the great days in my in well, in my viewing history of Scottish football. We had John Hartson, Henrik Larson, Chris Sutton, Neil Lennon, Stylian Petrov in the green and white of Celtic and in the blue of Rangers we had Amoruso, Flo, Ronald De Boer, Claudio Claudio Reyna, Claudio Caniglia and Arta Newman. Celtic, though, would finish 18 points ahead of that Rangers side with 103 points, which is just phenomenal, really. It must be a Scottish record, at least with Rangers in the league. And owing to... It was crucial that Rangers did finish second, though, because owing to Scotland's dropping coefficient, it meant that Rangers' second place would mean the UEFA Cup and not the Champions League, which is quite a current point because Scottish football this season will regain two Champions League spots. So whoever finishes second, whether it be Celtic or Rangers, will have to see in May for that one. 
will join their old firm rivals, which is, is going to be Celtic Rangers 1-2, isn't it? Let's be honest. In the Champions League for next season. And that is the first time that that has happened since 2012. The team that time, though, were, of course, Motherwell of all teams because that was the season of Rangers' demotion to the fourth tier of Scottish football. And the last time that both Celtic and Rangers were together in the Champions League, the season before in 2011. And of course, it comes full circle with that. And it co- of course, it comes full circle with Rangers trying to stop 10 in a row. Currently, they're doing quite a good job of doing that, only dropping four points at the moment. And lead Celtic, currently at least, by 11 points with two games played more than their Glasgow rivals. So it's going to be probably the most exciting SPL season since you know the days of Martin O'Neill. Definitely post, um, post-emotion for Rangers at least. Nine of the 12 teams you see there are currently still in the Scottish Premiership with Hearts, Dunfermline and Dundee all absent this year and are all, of course, in the Scottish Championship. Dunfermline top of that table. St Johnson will be relegated this year with an absolutely dismal 21 points, six of which they had accrued by match 15 here. Are we in for another wave of Celtic and Rangers battling with two fantastic managers? Well... We'll be finishing off episode 19, as always, with a 2000s trivial teaser. We are back, and of course, it is the 2000s trivial teaser to see us out. And a well-deserved shout-out for a hat-trick winner of these teaser answers, Scott Shaw, who correctly predicted... Carlos Vela as last week's correct answer, of course. And our teaser answer this week, he's a left-back and he's been managed by Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. He's played alongside Torsten Frings, Claudio Pizarro, Marco Inautovic, Frederick Piquion and Diego Simeone. A wide, eclectic range of footballers there that, it, that our teaser answer has played with. If you know the answer, if you think they know the answer... Let us know in the comments section below or tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube. Managed by Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, played alongside Frings, Claudio Pizarro, Marco Anatovic, Frederick Piquion and Diego Simeone. We'll have the answer for you at the same time next week. And also next week we'll be still sticking with Arsenal and we'll be talking about their invincible season. We'll also be going back to England in the table never lies for the 2001-2 season. And Harry Redknapp will be talking about his time as Portsmouth manager. Elsewhere on the channel, we're going to be talking about Kevin De Bruyne, the 1998-99 Premier League season, Zinedine Zidane, Newcastle, La Liga, Yugoslavia, and we've got a review of FIFA 2001 for you. But until next week, see you later. Podcast Network.